So before we uh, officially dive in this morning, um, I want to, since the announcement sent long, I just stopped, right? So uh, two things. First of all, I just want to thank Allie. She was a, she was a guitar player a month ago. And she's like, I'm telling you, man, you're <laughs> killing it. Uh, yeah, you can clap for that. That's all right. And then also, I want to take some time this morning to pray for the Fallon Church of Nazarene. Um, a lot of you remember John Velasquez. He was here for a long time leading worship, and, and, uh, and then he was the interim pastor when Steve had left and I was here, or before I came back. He is, this is his first Sunday as senior pastor of the Fallon Church. So, uh, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. It's good that he's back in northern Nevada, and, and that church, man, I'll tell you, they have like three thrift stores and food ministry. He is going to be, he thought he was busy working at Jack in the Box, I'm telling you right now, that kid. Uh, but I'd just like to lift that church up and him just as he starts this new journey. I mean, uh, Pastor Paul has been there for like 22 years, so it's tough to follow someone that's been there that long. And, and uh, so let's just join me as we pray for John. Um, Father God, we ask that you just bless John this morning. We pray that you bless the Fallon Church. We pray that you're with Jessica and Josiah, Noah, Danny, Micah, that you're just with that whole family and that you just begin to pour into them. Lord, give him your words to speak this morning as it's different and people are going to wonder what's going on. Just, just let it be you that is just sh- shown through completely. Lord, we ask that you just bless that town, bless what's going to happen, and just be moving in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So he's been there about two months as uh, just kind of a transitioning, and he brought 22 kids to Elevate. Fallon's never been to Elevate before, so yeah, he's, got, he's kind of a Pied Piper a little bit. Um, I also want to, before we dive in, I want to uh, just thank you, because we didn't have service last week, so I couldn't do it last week, that you were able to share me, um, and, and it was awesome being up the Foursquare Church. It's a, it's a dream that Pastor Chris and I have had for a long time of reaching out and unifying the pulpits. Uh, I talked to Nick Emery at the, at the Wesleyan Church and, and uh, some other people, and this might be something that we end up doing more of, uh, trying to get us to show that we are a valley that is united uh, for one cause and not just a bunch of separate churches. So thank you for sharing me. Uh, it was really good, and I'm glad to be back. Um, not for any reason, of course, but... So... We are finishing up this series uh, that we've been calling The Unexpected Acts of Jesus. Next week is Pentecost Sunday, so we will be done with this today. And I'm going to do uh, something a little bit different. So if you're new here, it won't matter at all. If you're used to being here, sorry, there's no clever story to start with because we have too much to cover this morning. So last week, when no one was here because our building was dangerous, We would have been talking about this crazy experience that Paul had when he went to sleep, had a vision to go to Macedonia and minister to a man. He gets there and he ends up meeting a woman named Lydia at a place of prayer. And she, they have this great conversation. She ends up fully converting to the way at the time and everything was going really good. And then Paul starts to mission and go every place. So he's in this territory because he had a dream to go. Uh, I just, I, I would have loved to focus on this last week because this is nonsense, right? I mean, if you, if you start thinking seriously, if we all acted on our dreams, we'd be in trouble. I would never public speak because usually that involves no clothes in my dreams. So just for your benefit, I wouldn't do that. If, if, there, was, if there was ever a time that like, I, I, get, I have weird dreams. The good news is, 
I do dream about getting a large sum of money a lot. So if that wants to come true for the church, that would be fantastic. Um, I would go ahead and take that. How many ever think about that? Like winning the lottery? Who thinks about that? Come on, this is a Nazarene church, people. We don't gamble. So if you do, I just want to make it clear that you do have to pay a sin tax. It's 20% tithe uh, if you win the lottery. But I always think like the greatest thing about winning the lottery would be writing that first tithe check. Right? Like, if you, like when it was like $387 million. $38 million. <laughs> Here you go. And, I just, and then, then I'd want to put a camera up in the counting room just to see Sharon's face. <laughs> when that check came across, what? <laughs> Somebody added too many zeros. Uh, my checks don't even have enough space to put that many zeros, so I don't think I could do that much. So now Paul has left Lydia after baptizing her entire household. Everything is going fantastic. He's moved on to a different region, and he's just kind of walking around, and they, they, they're walking to a new place of prayer, and, and he meets this woman. Now, all throughout the Gospels, we get this thing that you didn't heal them because you don't have enough faith. You didn't have enough faith, so you didn't heal them. If you had more faith, you could heal them. Well, we're about to get a story about Paul that literally heals someone from a demon because he's annoyed with her. I mean, no compassion, no like, let me, let me take care of this for you. It was more like, girl, you are bugging me, and so I'm just going to do this thing for you. Go away. Leave me alone. And, and this is literally what Paul walks into in this story. So we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 16 of that chapter. And it's just kind of a, a weird thing. I'm going to try to... No, I'm just going to read on the screen because I, I, I grabbed this Bible this morning because I left mine at home and the print is way too small because <laughs> I'm that old now. All right, so in verse 16, this is how it all starts. Now, Paul is, is, is roaming. He's going to another place of prayer because this is what Paul did. He went to where the Jewish people were first and he began to preach Jesus to them. And so he's headed to where they are. And it says, Once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she was predicting the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Okay, so I just want you to picture in your mind right now. Do you remember the old cartoon that had the bulldog and that little tiny dog? And he's jumping around and going, what are we doing today? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? This is when I read this. I'm picturing this lady following Paul and almost like this regal announcer saying, make way. This is Paul, servant of the most high God. He is going to tell you how to be saved. And at first, I imagine Paul was like, yeah, I am. After many days, no. Lady, come on. Give it a rest. So, uh, in the name of Jesus, and then so finally, Paul became annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. There's been a lot of writing lately about this completely debunking this idea of miracles, completely debunking the idea of demon possession. And as science begins to just, and I'm not, this is not a war on science. I'm, I, I believe in science. Let's just go there. Don't hear what I'm not saying right now. But there's this new thing that all of the, the demon possessions in the Old Testament and New Testament can be explained away with mental health, right? So the, the, this is what, I was just reading a book the other day that was talking about this idea that every single one of them can be explained away. And I'm thinking, well, that's amazing. Then, then Paul just healed schizophrenia. 
no less than a miracle. I mean, it's no less of a miracle, regardless of how you want to look at it. Mental health or a demon possession, still a miracle because it just, uh, you know, Jesus healed an epileptic. Okay, he just healed an epileptic by saying stop, right? It's still a miracle. So however you want to look at it. But here's, so here's this thing. He commands his spirit to leave her. And in the Greek, this spirit is called the spirit of the python. Now, again, unless you're a total nerd like I am, it doesn't really matter. But here's what's really cool. Yeah, Emma, Emma is like, I'm kind of a nerd. And you're, you'll like this, actually. You'll probably correct me on it because it involves Greek mythology. So, uh, but the, the idea is that she is acting like, a, like, a, like, a, like an oracle or, or like one of the oracles of Delphi because the serpent idea is part of the Apollo myth, right? So there's this, this idea that the serpents are the, are the, are the fates, the ones that predict the future. So the possession is not just a regular possession. He's actually basically saying that this, this lady is full on Roman and she is, she, she is out there. And so the demon that he casts out is not just, it's not just a demon that we look at, but it's actually this idea of paganism in the area. He's casting all these issues out of there. And now she's, she, so, so, so the spirit leaves her. And when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, <laughs> they... All of a sudden, she can't predict the future, and they're like, now what do we do? It's almost like, um, it's almost like being shut down. Oh, never mind. They seized, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and their jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling, at Paul, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour, the night the jailer took them in and washed their wounds. So the jailer was afraid of them escaping. So what he did is he took them out of jail. That, like literally, he said, oh, you're still here? Great, let's go have a meal. Wash their wounds. Then immediately... He and his whole household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God and, he was, and his whole household was saved. This is a really crazy thing because we have this story that's going on throughout Luke. Luke's telling these stories in Acts and it's very, very much like the gospel where Luke is communicating this idea that lordship is important in scripture and in the kingdom of God. Lordship is where it's at. What, what rules were Paul and Silas breaking as Jews in the kingdom of Rome? They were telling people that Caesar was not Lord, that Lord was Jesus. And so by saying that this Jesus is now Lord, they're totally flipping the entire industry on its head, saying, no, 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 you don't get it. 
This is not, you, Caesar has nothing. Jesus is Lord. So this is the claim they make against Paul and Silas. Now, when the jailer comes out, he says to them, Sirs. That word, sirs, is the exact same word that we have in the beginning for Lord. So there's this really weird wordplay that Luke's doing about who's in charge of what and, and, and what gives people authority. So he basically says, Lord, why are you guys still here? The, the term master for the, for the woman who was possessed by the demon, that same term for master is that same exact Greek word for Lord. So he's playing with this idea that there are people that have authority that aren't actually authoritarian. Because they have this authority on earth, but it's really meaningless. And so as, as, as Paul begins to, as Luke begins to tell this story, he starts playing with the idea of what it looks like to have lordship, what it looks like to be a servant, and what it looks like to be freed. Because the people that are actually free in this story end up being the very people that are actually enslaved. And as this woman is walking around saying, these are the servants of the Most High God, and Paul and Silas freely being servants of the Most High God, are the most free people in this entire story, but yet they are indeed servants, the same word that's used for the woman, as everybody else. But they have chosen to do this. There's a philosophy slash theologian out there, uh, not, not out there, I mean, he's out there. Um, but Frederick Nietzsche was his name, and he would say that, that the only reason that God can exist is because we allow God to exist. God does not exist unless we allow him to exist. Therefore, that we only, God only gives us free will because we surrender our will back to him. If we kept our free will, then we wouldn't really have free will because God would be ordaining that free will. And so there's this whole thing that's going on that Luke is also kind of addressing this, and he's saying, here's the deal. We are servants because we choose to be servants. You are a servant because you have been bound by a demon and I'm going to free you. But she's a double servant because she's a slave not just to the demon but also to the two men that are basically earmuffs pimping her out and making money off of her predictions. They are literally walking around following this woman and she's making them a bunch of money because she's fortune telling for people and she's making them a bunch of money. So she is a slave in the real sense, but she's also a slave in the spiritual sense. Paul and Silas are a slave in the spiritual sense because they've surrendered their freedom over to a master of the Most High God, and now they are journeying through this place where they are about to be locked up and be actual prisoners. So there's this crazy message of freedom, and here's what happens. Paul and Silas, they get to prison, they are locked away, and they begin to do what all of us would do in prison, sing hymns and praise God. Until midnight. I don't know about you, I don't see midnight very much. Friday, we had some people over and I had to see midnight. And Saturday, I was quite angry about seeing midnight on Friday. It used to be easy. But Paul and Silas aren't young men. Silas is a little bit younger. But I can just imagine, this is what they're doing, right? And all the prisoners are listening to this. I don't know if they want to stay up till midnight or not. But they're going to have to tolerate these hymns. And they're just singing out loud, causing all this ruckus. And apparently, either <laughs> because of the way the story is set up in the beginning, there's a part of me, the cynical part that makes me want to laugh when I read scripture that thinks God just got tired of their bad singing and caused an earthquake. Because <laughs> it's like, Paul got annoyed, cast out a demon. God got tired of you singing, caused an earthquake. This earthquake comes at midnight, shakes everything, opens the gates, 
shakes off the shackles off there. And all of a sudden now, these people that were voluntary slaves and now being in prison, now captured, are now completely free in both sense of the words. They are no longer captive by anything. They are free to do what they want because now they have this idea. And this is what Paul does. Then again, I read scripture weird. I get it. I imagine Silas getting up to run out of the jail cell. Silas is like, dude, we're out. And Paul's like, wait. And Silas is like, oh, Paul, I knew you were going to say wait. After the shipwreck, you made us praise God. After that kid fell out of the window when you were preaching too long, you brought him back to life. You always got to, and so he says, no, we're just going to stay here. Now, this, this jailer who is in the story the freest, he's in charge of the slaves, he's in charge of the prisoners, he becomes captive. This is, this is a perfect grasping of this third way that we talk about with Jesus. Remember we, we, when we talk about Matthew 5 and when Jesus says, if someone asks you to go a mile, go two miles with them. It's all about these rules that they have to follow. It's all about flipping this, 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 this whole chain of everything on his head. And so now Luke is talking about this very thing. We have a jailer who is free, who has now become the prisoner because he knows that if these two people escape, he is going to lose his life. So his, his option is, I'm going to take my own life because I can't, I can't do this. He does not understand why they're still there. He doesn't get it. I saw a meme just the other day that said, birds in cages think free birds are weird. Free bird. Free bird. If you live in a cage your whole life, freedom is odd. One of my favorite movies of all time is Shawshank Redemption. Love it. And I love it not for the whole movie. I love it for the last 30 seconds. I love it when the guy is walking down the beach, and you remember how this movie ends? He goes, I'm out now. I don't know what I do, but I have hope. And then it ends. I have hope. Well, the other main character in the movie, he gets out earlier, and he's been in prison his whole adult life. He gets out, he's living in this border house, and he, can't, he doesn't know how to be free. He has no idea how to function within freedom. And so he ends up carving his name on a beam and and, and, and taking his own life because he doesn't know how to function in that way anymore. The two separate things is this. Hope, a lack of hope. And so as we have Paul and Silas, they're locked up in prison. And what do they do? They begin to sing hymns and praise God. Why? Hope. They've got this hope that is unwavering, unshaking. They know that God's sovereignty is bigger than their situation. And they know that nothing is going to happen to change that. So they begin to sing. The earthquake happens. Their first instinct is, okay, we're free. God freed us. Let's go. That wouldn't have been wrong, right? God caused the earthquake. God caused it. Let's go. But because they stayed, because they stayed, this jailer came out and everything changed for his life. They stayed. They said, don't. We're still here. Don't take your life. We're still here. The prisoners now are the ones that are giving the prison guard the hope that they had from the very beginning. And hope is contagious. You cannot, you cannot live your life in a way that is hopeful without other people being around you experiencing some of that hope. The bad thing is it works the other way around too. If you're a turd, that's a theological word. In the Greek it means turd. That's contagious too. There is nothing more contagious than sitting in a room of negative people and all of a sudden everyone's griping. 
It's almost as easy as when you get three or four teachers together, they're going to talk about school. That's just the way it is. It doesn't matter what you do. If you get three or four negative people around, all they're going to do is gripe and complain about everything in the world and everything's bad. But the same thing is the same. It, it, I just made fun of Leo's mom. Now he's mad at me. It's like, my mom's a teacher, man. It's the same thing, though. If you surround people with hope, all of a sudden, and if you don't believe me, I would, I would encourage you to know someone or just travel with someone that is about to pass that has a great relationship with Jesus. Because when you're in that room, whether it's a living room or a hospital room, the amount of hope that is just flooding that place is so bizarre that even, like, even though you know very well that this is going to end in death, you're almost happy. Like you almost have this joy about it that you know that there is so much hope. And hope is so contagious. So now all of a sudden, this prison guard who is terrified that they got out of their cell, he goes, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you out of my cell and take you to my house. What? So now they're not in jail anymore. He takes them into their house. He cleans their wounds with water. Huh, this is... This is he, he takes water from his home and cleans up Paul, all the wounds from being beaten with rods. And then what happens immediately? He's baptized. It's not that he had a horse trough in his house. Okay? There was no baptismal. There was no... He probably didn't have a hot tub. Maybe he did. Prison guards chilling at night. He baptizes them, more than likely, with the same water that he used to clean the wounds. This is so amazing because now the prisoners have taken the prison guard, who was the actual prisoner, freed him, they are free, and now they've used this universal idea of water together to both become the freest they can possibly be. This, this story has so much power in this idea that he says, he, this is it, this phrase, what must I do to be saved? Now for us, we like to Christian that up a little bit. We like to go, this dude was asking about the prayer. He must have been asking about the sinner's prayer at that time. I, I, just, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin anybody, pop anybody, but that wasn't invented until the 1950s. So he probably wasn't asking about a sinner's prayer. He said, what must I do to be saved? Because he literally thought he was going to be killed. He thought he was a dead man. And, and, and whether, whether it is a spiritual saving or an actual physical saving, you know what the answer Paul gives? Believe in Jesus Christ. Whether you're actually going to be executed or it's about new birth and being saved from your, your sin, the answer is believe in Jesus Christ. All of these stories are set up piggybacking on top of each other. Lydia was a free woman that Paul went to go meet. She owned her own business. She, she, she dealt in purple dyes, which means that she was probably doing pretty well. And she, she was already free. She was, she was going down to the river to pray. She understood what it was to be free. Paul and Silas were free people that, that, that freely chose to give away their freedom to be servants of the Lord. We have this whole story of this woman being freed from her, from her demon. And then we have this craziness. What can I do to be, what, what must I do to be saved? In all of those stories, the answer is the same. Regardless of how prisoned you are, regardless of how hopeless you are, the answer is the same. Believe in Jesus. That's it. 
And, and it gives us this false sense of, of knowing that that's all we have to do, right? We just believe in Jesus. We can walk out the door and go about our business. And it makes it real easy to, to, to use Jesus like a jacket. So when we go out and it's cold, we put on our Jesus. But if we're going to a party that we don't really want Jesus around, we just kind of take him off and put him on the coat rack. And we go about our business. Because when we come home, we can always grab the jacket again and put it back on. And we're good. We, we, we got that Jesus thing. We can always run back and get forgiven. But the bottom line is, in this story, it's important to know that, yes, it is that simple. And yes, people can abuse the grace of Jesus. But the bottom line is, there is nothing, nothing you can do. Nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing you can do to begin to, to, to embrace it. All you can do is say, I am a slave. I am a prisoner. How, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be free? And the answer is always going to be, believe in Jesus. Believe that he is the son of God. Believe that he died for you. Believe these simple things and it can happen. Now, here's the thing. Very simple. And the hardest thing you'll ever do in your entire life. Jesus, God, literally broke the cell open and they stayed. Sometimes that's our journey. We can have walls blown out of our way and we have to stay. We can have all... This is... So... When this whole thing happened, right, before we were in this building, we were still in the other place, and I remember, I shared with you on Sunday, that I had the most, the weirdest experience I've ever had. I was woke up at 3.30 in the morning, I could not sleep, we'd already looked at this building, we ruled it out because it was too expensive, it was too run down, it was going to take too much work, and I went for a run, I know what you're thinking, I do, <laughs> I, I ran into this neighborhood, and I stopped, and I just wept. And my heart was just broken for these houses, for these neighbors, for, for, for the people that I knew that occupied some of these apartments around here. My heart wept for them. And, I, was, and I, I knew at that moment that we were supposed to be in this building. And then the nightmare that proceeds afterwards uh, that, that, this, that we've been in, right? And there have been so many times that I'm like, did I just miss it? Am I not listening to God at all? Am I that far off that this is, is God telling us to stop? Or have the prison gates just been busted loose and God is saying, I want you to hunker down. Everything is gone now. You have, there's no more boundaries between you and that prison guard. Stay put and do what I want you to do. And what's amazing is we had, a, we had an emergency board meeting last Tuesday night to talk about what we're going to do. And at that board meeting, we put our foot down and we said, we're not going anywhere. This is where we're going to be. We're going forward that Wednesday everything started taking off. And I don't, the, it, there's no doubt in my mind that it was because we said we're not going anywhere. The prison doors are blown off. We could escape right now. Because listen, let me just tell you, this might make some of you excited, but don't get too excited. This is zone multifamily apartment. Don't, let me just tell you, there's probably a developer that would love to get their hands on this right now because Carson needs houses. It would have been very easy for us to go Hey, Angie, can you put this back on the market? <laughs> We're going to try to get what we can and get out. Sometimes, when doors blow wide open, the instruction is to stand firm, is to be there. And all of a sudden, this prison guard walks in, <laughs> what must I do to be saved? And not only does Paul tell him, but this guy has him over to his house, they sleep in his bed, and then he has to be back in prison by morning. It says, by morning they were back in there. 
And when they came in, they released him because Paul was a Roman citizen, so he had all these other rights. But he, they literally slept at this guy's house after eating and being cleaned up, and they went back to prison in the morning before anyone knew. Is it just me, or do you picture like a teenager sneaking out of the bedroom window and then sneaking back in before anyone knew? I, it's, it's unbelievable, and it's all based on this. There is lordship in your life, and regardless of your sovereignty, or regardless of your situation, God's sovereignty is always bigger than that. He is always going to step in. He is always going to intervene. And it may not be the way we want to. He may be blowing doors open and we think we have to run through, but he may be saying, I'm blowing these doors open so people can come in. I'm blowing these doors open. The, 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 the jail cell is now open, not so you can run out, but so the jailer can come in. And all of a sudden, now we have to work in a way that we are intervening. We, we are being present in what God wants from us. And we are just saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm doing what you want us to do. And the one thing that they did is they sang praises and hymns to him all night long. They knew the voice of God. They knew what they needed to do. And they did it. And all throughout the whole thing, they knew who their Lord was. That was it. What must I do? Believe that Jesus is your Lord. What must I do to be saved? Just, 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 just believe. Just hold fast. And when your prison doors are open, see who's coming in. And when they get there, say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're still here. We're still here. There, there were a lot of people that, I don't know, some of you might not even know this because we didn't meet last week, but we were robbed a couple weeks ago. They took... Uh, some guitars, some computers, microphones, just a bunch of stuff. And they, they uh, posted on Carson Now, the guy's picture, and, and we, the, the, heading, the headline was, Thou Shalt Not Steal. <laughs> clever, very clever. The comments on that thread were absolutely appalling. Calling for this man, cut off his hands, lock him up forever. I mean, it was, and there were some that were very, there were some that were very filthy and mean, and they deleted most of those. But I, I went on and I put, we are a church that preaches forgiveness and redemption. And if we're a church that preaches forgiveness and redemption, there's no limits to that grace. This man is covered in that grace. All he has to do is believe. Forgiveness is real. And I, and I do that with this sense of God is bigger than it. It'd be very easy for us to go, look, we're in a bad neighborhood. We're going to be robbed again. Probably. I, I'm, I'm still blown away that we've been here this long and not been tagged. But the bottom line is, when that stuff happens, are we going to run? When, when, when there are people using our parking lot for I don't know what, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot of drug deals going down during the week. <laughs> Shay's like, yeah, she lives right around the corner. She knows. But there, there are cars out here all the time just parked. Now, can we put up a sign that says no trespassing? Could we close our gates? Sure we could. But sometimes what it means to serve God in the right way is to bust open your gates and say, come on in. You, you can, you, we, several businesses since we've been here have used our parking lot for a parking space. The, 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 the investigator for the DA's office in this burglary said, you should be shutting those gates. Maybe. But sometimes the gates are to open so people can come in. And that's why we're here. We're making that declaration in this neighborhood that we will blow open the gates so people can come. Is it going to be hard? Yes, we've talked about that. It's going to be hard. This is going to be messy. 
And if we do what we're supposed to be doing, it's going to be messy. And if it's not messy, we need to reevaluate what we're doing because where we have located, we are expecting messy. So that means there are going to be people that come in here that aren't like you. It means there are going to be people that come in here that are smelly. And I'm not just talking about Ben. Other people, too. I thought she said amen, but uh, <laughs> we, we have to be willing to go, this is who we are, and we want you to come. We want you to come, because the question that's going to be asked is, what must I do to be saved? And we have to be willing to tell them, just believe. Don't, don't worry about getting cleaned up first. Look, man, it, it, one of the coolest stories I've ever heard was Jim Simbola, the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, that would tell a story about his Tuesday night prayer meeting. And he'd say, on Tuesday night when they would lock up, they would come down to the altars and literally there'd be syringes laid on the altar. There was crack pipes laid on the altar. There was wads of $100 bills rolled up on the altar because these people literally were surrendering their old life. That's what messy church looks like. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the messier, man, the results are so much cooler. Think about when you clean your kid's room. When you can't see the floor, and all of a sudden it's clean, you're like, wow. If it's just kind of messy, it's cool. But when it's real messy, oh man, that's awesome. No, it's real messy, and then it gets cleaned. That's awesome. Keep up. We are in a place where we are surrendering our freedom to be prisoners. And if the gates blow open, we're just going to stay and see who comes. And we're declaring right now that this neighborhood, this is kingdom property. And, and, and at first, when they told us for the special use permit, we have to mail out these letters to invite everyone around our church to a meeting. We have to pay postage on that. And I thought to myself, that's a lot of money. But then I thought to myself, how cool that we are claiming those letters that go out, we get to claim that as our property. That's kingdom property. Every letter that goes to, that's kingdom property. And we are going to live in a way that when people walk past and they say, what time are your services? They're saying, what must I do to be saved? And we get to say, and you can come whenever you want. But they're at 10 o'clock on Sunday. And there's weeds to pull if you want to, too. <laughs> we have such a great opportunity. And all we have to do is remember who the Lord is, who our sovereign is, and believe and everything else is handled. We can be free. There's a verse that Paul uses in Galatians, and I think he uses it. Worship team, you guys can come back up. He, he uses this phrase in Galatians, and I think it's based on these two chapters in Acts, 15 and 16. Paul says, there is no Greek. There is no Jew. Lydia was a Greek. Paul, a Jew. There is no man, there is no woman. The woman who is possessed and her, her, her owners. There is no slave, there is no free. We are all one under this umbrella of God. This whole journey is about we are all one under this umbrella of God. We're going to, can I do connecting time, is that cool? We're going we're gonna to go into connecting time, and, and this morning what I want to really do, and I really wish that we had some altars, and, and someday I promise we'll get them back again. 
I, I really want us to focus in this. I really want us to be, this is a response time. I really want you to figure out, one, can you declare right now that you're good? Because I'm going to tell you right now, what must you do to be saved? Believe. Where, where are you at in that journey? Are, are, first of all, are you there? Second of all, are you ready for your prison gates to be blown open? And if you are, are you ready for who comes in? Because that's going to be important for us. As we get closer and closer to being occupying this whole building and, and doing more for our neighborhood, we have to know, are we ready for all those that come in? So use this time, whether it's with candles in the back over there, uh, and you want to light a candle, and we, again, we say this every week, but it's important to know, we don't believe there's any power in wax and, and cotton threads. We do believe that there is power in prayer, and there's this amazing thing that happens when you light a candle in the dark corner and light penetrates. That's, that's what we see our prayers as. So if you want to pray about those, those things, or if there's someone in your life that you know needs the light of Christ, just go back there, light one of those candles during this time. We have a cross back there. If you want to nail a burden or a praise or, or, or the burden that you're feeling right now, the thing you're carrying, the thing that you need to be delivered from, nail that up there. Uh, when we got robbed, we also realized that they stole our hammer. So there is a sledgehammer back there. Go at it, kids. Um, but don't hit the wall because we just found out we don't have to tear the wall down. <laughs> up here we have um, communion behind me. Uh, this will be a time for us to be able to join together. See, this, this whole idea of connecting time, this is why we do it. This is our tactical experience with Jesus. Tactile, not tactical. We're not going to war. Tactile. <laughs> this is the way that we can grasp these things. And so as you come up to do this, this is, this is one of the most unifying things in all of Christianity. The bread and the blood. We, we, we serve communion. We have an open table. So you are, you are willing to come and experience this God, God's grace. We do it through intention. So grab your bread, dip it. Remember, if you drop it, just let it float. Over here we have um, some cards. Our, our students are going to Nazarene Youth Conference this year. And uh, we, these are just prayer cards that are generic that every kid will get one to know that someone's praying for them. So if you want to write down a prayer on there, and we'll get those passed out. We also believe that... Um, Giving is an act of worship, and so we don't do it at a separate time. We do it at this time. We do it as a time for you to be able to connect with God in a way that says, you have given us everything, we want to give you back some. So uh, if you brought your tithe or offering, we would like to receive that here. Um, this is your time. So if you want to stay in your seat, we also believe that God is big enough for introverts, and he can handle the fact that you don't want to get up and mingle. That's cool. If you want to stay where you are, stay where you are. Just take on this 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 persona, this, this, this posture of prayer, this, this, this idea that God is clearly big enough. If you're in a place in your life right now that um, everything is fantastic, but not so fantastic, you've got to praise God all the time, but this is good, you're good, you're coasting, and you need something to pray about, i got a couple things that you can put on your list for this morning. Uh, James has a big surgery coming up on Thursday. Uh, you could lift him up as you're lighting a candle. Um, Jeremy, can I share a little bit? Um, Tim is not doing great. Um, and so those of you that have been journeying through this cancer trip and uh, this, this thing, uh, just if you, if, you, uh, 
if you can, we would, we, I know that the Fox family and Tim and Ruth and Jeremy and John and Christina and Cara and the boys would, would love to just have you praying um, for Tim and, and just, uh, we'll pay for recovery because we believe God's a healer. Pray for peace. Um, that surpasses the, the illustration of hope um, is all over that place. Um, so just, just be in prayer there. And as we go into this time, I just would just ask that you would just be in this presence of prayer. Father God, Father, we ask that you be with James this week and Thursday and Patricia. We ask that this surgery does everything to the foot that needs to be done. Father, we lift Tim up to you, Ruth and the rest of the Fox family. We, we trust that your sovereignty is bigger than our situation. So even in the midst of this prison, we ask that you free us. In Jesus' name, come. Move freely. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me.